welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast, goddammit. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chapin. And I'm Caleb Shively. God damn it. God damn it, God Caleb. You damn. are. God, God damn. damn it, you are, it's Caleb. one of the best things to swear. I like saying God damn it. I agree 100%. Uh, so on this show, we talk about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. And they're related in the way that, like, uh, we're related to award season. Would you say, Caleb? It's... That is a great uh, segue because you can just say, oh, it's just our award season. It's, everything's related to an award season. That's where uh, movies like Roger Rabbit and whatever beat Roger Rabbit that year came out, out are the same movie. Forever Links. Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't know. I again, Caleb. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what are you talking about? You said it's linked to like award season, and I picked uh, Roger Rabbit, and I couldn't pick of an, another movie from 1989. Did I that win picked, a lot uh, of awards? Did that win? It won an Oscar. It's Oscar winning film. Roger, who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. See, I wouldn't if out of all movies that you could name as like an example of an Oscar winning film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit to me would be like way, way down the list. Uh, it visual effects. It's such a standard. It set like don't even try to replicate what it did. <laughs> Look, I think, I mean, I agree. It's amazing. What an amazing movie. And I, I'm ashamed of myself that I didn't think of it sooner. <laughs> I thought of quality award-winning films. Um, but this week, right, it's one of our classic ABC and also one editing. Uh, Sorry. Got to throw oh, that in there. Thank you. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I love that. It's edit. one of our classic ABC <laughs> movies, award season catch-up episodes. We're just doing two new, good new movies we haven't talked about yet, um, which is also an excuse to watch them. Uh, so this week it's Minari from 2021 and Judas and the Black Messiah from uh, 2021. <laughs> um, that's this week on Actually Best Choice. Movies. Movies. So you just, so just the Oscars, huh, Caleb? Awards season. It, you can feel it in the air, you right? You know, we're, uh, it's a little bit delayed this year, uh, as everything is, but now is traditionally a time where all the uh, precursor stuff comes out. We just had a Golden Globe uh, happen. Uh, so things are starting to Critics' come Choice form. Awards this past Critics' weekend. Choice Awards just happened, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, BAFTAs were announced nominations. We're just saying award shows now, uh, but... It's uh, like things that are we're pushing are starting to like curl curtail their Oscar campaign, save their money, uh, and now things that are in the conversation are ramping up that campaign. It's a, a fun time to pay attention to movies, and uh, obviously the two movies we're talking about uh, are well in that conversation: Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, probably a shoe in nomination for Daniel Kaluuya. He won a Golden Globe. Oh, for uh, sure. It's yeah, uh, and then Minari. Uh, I think that has best picture aspirations. Uh, I hope it does get there. That'd be cool. Uh, but you know, screenplays in conversation. Directors probably in conversation at that point. Actor, but that ah, good maybe, for them. I mean, yeah, actor maybe is in there. Uh, but yeah, an good. actor for the little kid. I mean, he won the Critics Choice Award. It's like a he won the Critics Choice Award for best newcomer. <laughs> oh, best newcomer. Okay. I mean, I guess it would be crazy to nominate, but I mean, I don't know. In the same time, it wouldn't be crazy at all to nominate him for best best supporting actor. Uh, I always think it's a little bit crazy to to a kid, exception Tatum O'Neill. Uh, uh, but yeah. uh, Yoon Young Jung, who plays the grandmother, uh, I think is uh, definitely in the conversation uh, mm. for Minari. But those are just the movies we're talking about. There's like a whole other slew of movies. Some have we covered, some we haven't covered. 
uh, in there. And I guess we want to take a sec to talk about if we have personal rooting interests ourselves for this Oscar season. Because, uh, again, award shows are bullshit. And I say again because award shows are bullshit. I say this every year. Uh, they should definitely do something better with money and time. But, you know, I do like movies and I do care about the Oscars because there are things I care about. Well, so Caleb, who are you rooting for this year? Like, who are you hoping is going to win? No, I said it uh, last episode that uh, Nomadland piqued my interest. So I'm rooting for that for best picture and for definitely. Yeah. Definitely nominate going to be nominated for best picture, best actress for Francis storm, best Mm -hmm. director for Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Those are maybe best cinematography. Probably too. It'll be not James Richards. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All those things. So that's a big, film i'm rooting for uh but you know there's other things uh i'll say the number one on my list though is uh probably not gonna happen but it still hasn't the, there's still a push for it for first cow uh kelly for director uh, i i i she's not she's getting I think some that's precursor possible. notice i think it's that's possible, possible. Yeah. yeah it's one of those things where like i'd be thrilled to see it uh i'm not holding my breath uh i think Probably best picture. I don't know. Best picture sometimes does ten nominations, but there's a lot of things vying for this year. And it's such a crazy year. It's Caleb, a crazy who the year. fuck knows? You know, like and it's, it's she has a hardly very, any movies came out. You know, she has a big fandom. Like people love Kelly Reichardt, and maybe enough people in the Academy love her that they could finally, and especially directors uh, in the directing branch. Uh, that's who, that I love that since the uh, best picture has expanded, the directing has become more mm-hmm. of like a de facto. Uh, put a more art thrust in there too. So hopefully uh, that's my big rooting for is, yeah, there is a shot. Uh, critics, I mean, people are talking about, first, the people talk about First Cow. It's a very big deal. Mm-hmm. Movie. It's been it's talked for about the, for a for long critics, time. I like think. it came out yeah. like this time last year. So it's been in the conversation. Yeah. It's been the best movie <laughs> for 2020 for yeah, a year. Time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm hoping for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one I'm hoping for, you know, we, I was telling you earlier is, uh, for a movie we did on the show, uh, the nest, which I thought was so, so Mm -hmm. good. Uh, I'm really hoping that Carrie Coon is going to be nominated for best actress or best supporting actress or something for her role in that. There's a great article in vulture today where they say the same thing, (laughs) but like, I mean, I don't know, but in the article, the vulture is basically saying, Nobody talks about this movie. Why doesn't Carrie Coon get nominated for anything? It's so a... it's kind of positing that she's not going to get nominated. But I, you know, I, we both agree that it, she should be. Uh, it's such a, a star turn too, and those don't happen for like uh, older actresses, really. So yeah. that that alone makes me like, oh, she's that, so good. I and wish she's that, so good. Like she so should good. be. She's going to be in movies all the time, and this is like what we would point to. So I, that's a thing you should uh, award. I mean, um, it's strange in general, The Nest. Like, nobody talks about The Nest. We did it on this show, right? No, Nobody talks about this movie. It stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon, and uh, yeah, it has one of the best performances of the year mm-hmm. in it, and it, people just act like it doesn't exist. It's very weird. Uh, another uh, movie we did on the podcast that I thought should definitely have some award uh, recognition for Best Actress, and just didn't because probably of a subject matter, uh, Julia Garner in The Assistant. That's like a layup nomination. Oh, yeah. She is the whole movie, and it's such a powerful, compelling movie, uh, and she has to do so many emotions in such a scared range of it. Uh, I wish that would get nominated, but like, there, there, I would say there's definitely not going to happen at this point, uh, which sucks <laughs> because the Oscars do suck, <laughs> and there really hasn't been a campaign, too. In this Vulture piece, they say that uh, Matthew McFadden or Fadden should get nominated for Best Supporting Actor from The Assistant. <laughs> sure. Which, like, I don't really see why. I don't really see why. I, I mean, he's fine. I I don't know. He's. I fine. mean, there I have know. been, like, 
Oscars for two scenes or so, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's an odd movie, right? Nobody really has any lines, so it's not like you can really go by that. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. Why why pick the guy from that movie, (laughs) you know? For real, for real, yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think... I'm rooting for Riz. I think he's definitely going to get an Oscar nomination. I'm oh, speaking of more things metal, that are going to happen. Yeah, yeah Sound of Metal. Uh, I think Time, the movie we cover on here, is, should get a Doc nomination. I don't know. Prob- Doc is well, always kind of a toss-up. Killing Dick Johnson or whatever. Dick Johnson is dead. Yeah. Like, that'll probably get nominated for Best yeah, I, 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 Doc is always kind of wild for Oscars. They, I, I never know what they pick sometimes. Uh but yeah, to well, get another more. thing we talked about Go on ahead. the show, if I can say that I I hope gets nominated for something is the forty year old version. Like that's mm, really yeah. it was a really good movie. Uh, In a perfect role, definitely. Yeah, it would be like maybe a star like making turn coming out party I mean, for her. Do you? Th- yeah, screenplays I mean, up there. Yeah, I would say like sometimes the rewards. Uh, that's where screenplay is great for. I love the screenplay. Uh, the rewards uh, a more person who directs and writes they put it through a screenplay quentin won his oscar for screenplay uh i i think uh, along those lines too uh a movie we covered never rarely sometimes always eliza hitman directed that movie but she also wrote uh the screenplay but i think she's probably closer to a screenplay nomination than a direct director nomination there too uh director's heavy hitting shit which is dumb uh but you know screenplay they they let any, let any, uh, any old person have that <laughs> <laughs> It's just words you wrote down. I don't know what you're talking about, Caleb. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, screenplay versus uh, directing nomination. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I uh, I think it's a good Oscar. I mean, it's classically one of the Oscars that's like the cool movie gets it, right? Like, didn't Pulp Fiction win? And ever since then, it's been kind of like the yeah, so cool I just, movie gets yeah, so that's where Quentin got his wins his oscar yeah but you said it's so archly you know and not in plain language so even i did not know what you're talking about what does archly mean i don't know i don't know i was just being a dick i apologize i shouldn't i shouldn't be rude uh the one that i really hope that's probably more for me that no one else cares about uh lucas zoll has two cinematography nominations uh uh, for Paul Polkowski's movies, uh, The Black and White Ida, The Great Cold War, which we've did on this podcast. Uh, yeah. So I love his the way he does movies, and he shot I'm um, Thinking of Ending Things, which I think is a very interestingly shot movie. But the Are we talking ag- about I'm Thinking of Ending Things on you, this podcast you, again? You, you interrupted me. Um, uh, so he's an Oscar-nominated cinematographer, and he does a lot of cool work, but and a lot of like tricky camera work too, especially towards the latter half. But the first half of the movie is just in a car, so that's definitely points against him i think it'd be really cool because i think it's a very awesome i love that movie uh but i would i i, I don't know how cinematography domination who talks about it other than like uh that well, it looked cool it looked in pretty black and shots white. no it's just like pretty if it looks pretty yeah yeah I, uh i would imagine i'm trying to think off the top of my head what would probably is it like nomad land we talked no about land for yeah. sure. uh, mank mank probably does just mank. get some black oh, and God. white yeah we didn't even talk about i mean mank is gonna get nominated for a million it might win like every single oscar oh okay can i tell you i haven't even watched it i haven't even seen it uh i didn't hate it but also i i could leave it more than that than not yeah, that's why we, that's the first time we bring it up, and the first time we bring yeah, it up, we've we're never, not enthusiastic we, about we have it. We've not done Mank on this show. I don't know. It just seems like such a fucking wank, right? I mean... Mank's a wank. I, I mean, it's, honestly, it's not horrible, but I would pick the other movie <laughs> that we were covering. 
Well, all right, dude. Do you, do you have more of these? Do you have more of these picks? Oh, I always do, but we don't have to. Maria Balakova for Borat. Lay it on me. She's, of course, going to get She got nominated for Golden Globe. She's definitely also going to get nominated. I know. Because the Academy cool. wants to show they hate Donald Trump so much, you know. I hope it's just not going to win. They it's love just, comedy, and it's a very fun performance. Uh, so that's why I hope she gets it. But do what you want, Academy. You have your politics. Do your fucking shit, man. <laughs> that's yeah, why we hate the Oscars. Yeah, it'll be a bunch of dumb. I, I, I mean, I guess Borat probably get some nominations just to purely be like a middle finger to Donald Trump. I think he is in the running for at least for that Chicago Seven trial, the Chicago Seven. Did, movie. I didn't see that either. Did how did did you see that? It probably, if we were actually smart about it, would have been a great pick with Judas and the Black Messiah, as Fred Hampton is also depicted in Sh- Trial oh, of yeah, Chicago yeah. Seven. But also, I didn't want to watch that movie again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so you have not seen it I have seen it that's oh, why I said you again you want to watch it again okay yeah yeah uh, well see this is what I'm saying it just doesn't look like to me uh, you know obviously oh, we have these we have this show I've seen a million goddamn movies like I can just tell that it's not gonna be something I want to watch <laughs> you know it just seems like it's not quite good enough to be worth watching I mean I always think Sorkin I mean this is him directing too I think his screenplays are fine again screenplay versus directing but uh He's just a bad director. <laughs> uh, it's not fun visually. I mean, he just writes, he directs to his strengths, which is writing, and there is a lot of... Very straight ahead, I, uh, guess, I would guess. Yeah, a lot of clunky uh, force-hitting in there stuff. But it's, it's I say, well, movies can be carried by performances, which maybe we'll talk about soon. Uh, but that movie has some decent performances, and it's not completely horrible, which is a nice way of saying it's a C. Like a C plus at best. C, you think? Really? C wow. plus at best, yeah. No way. I see. I'm definitely not going to see it if it's C. Yeah. For some I reason, mean, I just keep picturing. I mean, it's a, the trial. Is it all take place in a courtroom? I bet it's all people yelling at each other, and then there's like three scenes that aren't in the courtroom to like spice it up a little bit. Uh, no. <laughs> no? no, really? Is, is it not in the courtroom at all? No, there's a. I mean, it's like a lot. It goes. It's a long movie. There's a lot all over the place. All right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. All right. Uh, now that I said something stupid, let's move on to the other. <laughs> the what are we doing part of the first? Show. We didn't discuss what we're doing first. We didn't. I know. Let's do Minari first. Okay. Our first movie this week is 2020's Minari. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma America, home of the free, also of the brave. A land where you can pull up a bootstrap and really make a name and a home for yourself and for your family. Even if you're a Korean immigrant moving to a small town in Arkansas to start your own farm. Minari is the familiar American dream story from director Lee Isaac Chung making a semi-autobiographical film about the agricultural aspirations of a family patriarch here played by Stephen Yuen. Uh, Minari throws struggles with watering crops alongside the learning of a different American way of living for his young son as well as an eccentric grandmother which may be a bit disjointed at first, but ultimately seeing new and old ideologies between these two really works in selling the emotion of the film and emotion it has plenty of. The American myth, the journey of reinventing oneself, 
Minari goes through it all pleasantly and truthfully to its characters. Chris, let's talk about it. Yes, Caleb, that was a very good introduction to Minari. Uh, what a, you know, this is what can I say? This is like exactly the kind of movie I really, really like. Um, I was in a super weird mood the other day, and I knew this was a per- the perfect film to see. It's very like emotional and quiet, and uh, like dramatic things happen in the film, but it has this way of like I don't know. They happen very quietly. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. I thought it was such a such a great film, and I I so enjoyed watching it. Uh, the performances are amazing. Yeah, uh, Stephen Yuen is so so good in this film. Like now I understand why everyone is talking about him all the time. He's great, and the whole family is great. All of the actors are great. Um, obviously, the little kid just won a Critics' Choice Award, like uh, which is like a little crazy, but also he was really good. I mean, it's a hard, it's hard. He's a little kid. He's a very little kid actor uh the grandmother is amazing i'm just rambling caleb i don't know yeah, like yeah. what what, what uh, did you think alan kim that young kid's name plays david uh, but yeah it's a very familiar story uh it's just enhanced through specific storytelling uh it's an immigrant story but not one set against the menace of racism which very refreshing to do uh right. it's like it's basically a family drama the dad moves a family in hopes of a better life uh and they struggle at first to start a farm and then the family unit begins to crack, and we're seeing these cracks in the movie. It's good storytelling, filmmaking. Uh, it's just so specific to its characters. Uh, and then, yeah, Stephen Yuen enters the pantheon of the hardworking Asian father, oh my uh, God, right. where he brings, but he brings, I don't know, what he does, I think, special is like, he, it's the quiet intensity Asian dad, but he brings And also, a he's so of, young. I feel like a lot yeah, of times hardworking Asian sure. dads are older, yeah, whereas but, he is like, his kid is like, five you know he's like he's still young and cool but in that like intense asian dad like that he is quiet and put off from people blah 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 uh he still brings like a strong sense of insecurity to this to this character Uh, and that's where i think that's where like i hope that the oscar stuff gets reined there and stuff also just a big Stephen yuen fan oh Uh, yeah he's great he's so great i mean i was talking with Catherine about how Another movie we did on this show, Burning, and how different, how different Stephen Yuen is in that movie to, to this movie. It's it's really amazing to see. Mm-hmm. I would also s- tell people to check out his uh, voiceover work in uh, Tuca and Birdie. I thought that was such an underrated uh, ground level for that show of them to bounce off of. I, I I like as a person who likes cartoons. I thought it's one of the better voiceover actings. In- I will. I like. He's fantastic. He's hot. He's is uh, he's as hot as it gets right now. He's. Everybody talks about Stephen Yuen. Everybody's mm-hmm. interviewing him, and there's big photo spreads of him everywhere. He's like yeah. a big, big star right Yeah, he's now. in GQ this week. Uh, yeah, he yeah. plays Jacob, and to get a little bit more behind Jacob, he's the eldest Korean son, which oldest son in Korea means something. Uh, and he feels he wasted his time as a chicken sexer. Uh, he was good at chicken sexer, though. What an amazing specific yeah. that is in this film. Their job is chicken sexing. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's trying to improve his situation. Which is he figuring out risk, the sex of situation. a chick yeah. when it's first born and they, they dispose of the male ones. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene where he has to explain that to his little son. And, you know, as a new parent, I thought like, oh man, how the fuck could you explain this to a little kid? There is a little, uh, I don't know, it, this is kind of true in Western culture of uh, the demasculizing of Asian men, fetishizing of the Asian women. Oh, sure. uh, that kind of touches upon that way, does it? And there's also a line where David, uh, the young son, uh, David, uh, doesn't want to be called cute. I'm not cute. I'm good looking. Uh, 
And I think there is that whole, like, men don't talk about, excuse me, Asian men don't talk about their feelings. Like I said, Minari is specific in its storytelling about an Asian family. Uh, and that is, I think, portrayed really well well here. Uh, and like you said, the whole family is pretty amazing in this movie. Uh, uh, like, they got actual Korean actresses. Uh, Yoon Ju, uh, Jung, who I mentioned, Mike, at an Oscar nomination, plays the grandma. She's been acting for 50 years in Korea. This is her first States movie. Uh, yeah, uh, Han wow. Ye is the uh, plays Monica, the wife, the wife, of course, an important role in this movie. She wants, yeah, very, very I important. think that's the uh, the thrust of this movie is like her and Jacob. It's uh, she, he wants uh, to make the prove the situation of the farm. She doesn't want to be on the farm, she wants a community for her family. Yeah. She's actually concerned about the lack of hospitals for their son who has a heart condition. <laughs> yes. And he's like, I need to have a farm, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, they have two kids. Uh, one, uh, Anne, I think, is the daughter's name. Uh, she's more quieter. Uh, but, and it does, uh, uh, once it establishes a shift to the perspective of the young son, David. Uh, yeah. Which we are talking about a lot because he's in a lot. And I guess, like I just said. It I mean, should, the movie, he's kind of the star of the movie, you know. And it is always tricky to have a kid. I kind of touched upon this earlier when I said kids should get Oscar nominations. <laughs> but, like, obviously he's a stand-in for the director's childhood. And right, sure. Yes. Uh, but from a filmmaking perspective, it's like an easy shortcut to uh, sentimentality. And it undercuts some of, like, the uh, power or stamp of a director's storytelling sometimes. Do you think? Uh, having a little kid in the movie? Yeah, unless I mean Caleb. Uh, oh, go ahead. You you say your thing. You say your. Thing. Uh, but also, like, also from a filmmaking perspective, uh, that childlike worldview adds to like a more fragmented vignette esque pace, which Minari has through like its middle stretch, and it's, I think it's very helpful. Yeah. Like, there's That's a true. lot of stuff with just uh, David and his grandma, which is great. That's like a lot of the fun stuff in this movie. Like. Like we said, it's an emotional movie. It touches on like the depressing and the hard and stuff. It's also uh, fun is an emotion. There's a lot of there's a lot uh, of fun. Like, there's a lot uh, of like tension, but it's like fun and it's very gentle for yeah. almost think, the entire yeah. movie. Yeah. And it really is between David and the grandma, who has you know uh, the grandma comes in later in the film after they move there. Uh, she uh, it's like a a pact or like. Uh, we can still. Uh, the wife Monica says we can still live here if my grandma, if my mom can live here. So they bring the mom in, and she injects a lot of humor and really carries the children's storyline for most of yeah, the film. Yeah, it's the relationship between the 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 son and grandson and, and the grandma becomes the movie, right? And yeah. it's like he hates her so much, and he she's keeps not, telling her she's not a real grandma. Not a real grandma. She smells like Korea. <laughs> she smells like Korea, and they're like, "You've never even been to Korea. You don't know what Korea smells like." And he's like, <laughs> "He makes and her." She smokes and she gambles and she watches she, wrestling. Like, yeah, she says that he says that she's illiterate, and we don't have any reason to disbelieve him. I don't think you know. Uh, yeah, he's uh, you know. And then there's a great scene. It. There's a great scene where he makes her drink pee, he and it's been, like really amazing. It's also it's, yeah, he makes her drink three because uh, he thinks she's drinking Mountain Dew, which is just a true thing about Mountain Dew that it does look like look pee. like pee. It does look like pee. Yeah, that's speaking of like specifics, pee. I mean, yeah, it's they have this very weird specific that they all drink Mountain Dew. <laughs> they only yeah. drink and they call it like healthy mountain water. <laughs> <laughs> I think as yeah, to go along those specific lines. Uh, like they're mom and dad are immigrants, uh, bringing uh, you know uh, an old ideology. The grandma in here, but both of the two children are fully Americanized, uh, and they're moving from California to Arkansas. That's yeah, huge Arkansas. shift. 
I don't want to move to Arkansas. I mean, no, like like in nineteen, and then the movie's set in the eighties, so this is like Arkansas in the like mid eighties yeah. or something. Like, <laughs> oh my god, no way! And so, in the course of the movie, like they're trying to find you know a sense of community. They do find other Korea Koreans, thankfully, but they also like uh, try church, uh, and that's where like they meet some uh, you know the white people, and that's where a little bit more of the culture clash comes in because that is true of the Asian experience. Well, there is, it's interesting, the movie, like I'm saying it, it's gentle in a certain way because, and you said it's not a movie about dealing with racism. Like there is a culture clash a little bit, but there, there is like a couple of comments, like the one white kid says to the, um, to the son, uh, like, why is your face so flat? And he goes, uh, it isn't. And he goes, okay. And then they never, they don't ever mention any of that again. You know? I said it was, it didn't set against the menace of racism, which yes. is like racism is what a big, crazy thing. Like there is racism. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's just a part of life. As a, 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 a as a Asian man right here, I can tell you, yeah, you just accept everyday racism all the time. It just oh, happens. Oh, uh, it's awful, but also, like, that's what life is. Like, you can't get around it. Uh, oh, but like, what I, I was th- going to say, I mean, not to interrupt you talking about racism. Please continue. <laughs> no. Like, there's, like, stuff in this movie that, like, uh, as I, I've, I've lived in, uh, moved from, like, Pittsburgh to, like, small town outside of Pittsburgh. I've, like, I felt like, oh, that is very true. Or, like, you just have to like teach people to how to be around someone not white a little bit. It's all this stuff is like hits a little. Like I had uh, like white friends who are just like, oh yeah, that's how things are. You know, eat weird food. It's fun. Yeah, like different food. Like there's a scene where somebody's eating kimchi, but it's like like, he likes it, but they're trying to take it away. So they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, this kimchi is near you. And he's like, oh no, I love it. Give me more. You know, and they're like, oh. Yeah, I'll talk about Paul for a second. You want to talk about Paul? Uh, oh, Paul. Fant- yeah. what a fantastic performance. Um, yeah. Oh, Will Patton. Remind me of the name of this actor, Caleb. Will, Will Patton. Will Patton. He's been in everything, Will Patton. Yeah, he's in a lot know. of uh, Kelly Reichardt's movies. Uh, he was a, the, uh, the recent yeah. Halloween. He was the sheriff. Uh, you might he remember was the him. mechanic in uh, Wendy and Wendy Lucy. Lucy yeah. Yeah. I think his biggest role might be the uh, white head coach in Remember the Titans. Yeah, he the thing, too. I think he's been on like every TV show. He's, he's been uh, on like CSI and like all this too. kind of stuff. And here he plays like uh, he's a local that Jacob hires, and he's spiritual. Let's say, and here, here are some examples of him being spiritual. Uh, he believes the land is cursed and performs exorcisms on it. Uh, he dabs holy ra- water around Jacob's crop. Uh, uh, he dabs holy water around Jacob's home. Uh, he carries a cross around on Sundays. Those are examples of. He goes. This is eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> But you know he's but he's also like, really lovable. He's yeah, also really lovable, lovable, and loyal, sweet, ha- very hardworking, loyal, hardworking. Yeah. Yes, yeah, accepting uh, of you would think he would be super racist against the you know an Asian person, and he like is in a certain way, but in another way isn't. You know, no, yeah, he's uh, yeah, learning and but accepting. But I, what I this is this ties into one thing I I think is really interesting. I mean, look, as I'm a white person, I grew up in the South, you know. Um, but, uh, I, the movie so effectively puts you within the world of the Korean family and basically all of the white people they meet, you're just like nervous the entire time. They seem like such an unpredictable, threatening thing. And they're all crazy. Like the first white people they're meeting are like the dowsing guy. And then this other, there's the Glenn, he has the, but it's, it's his craziest scene at the very beginning. He's so dirty and it seems like he's trying to take advantage of them in some way. Um, so I thought the movie did such a good job of putting you in, in their world and mm-hmm. making you see all these white people as like very weird, threatening objects that are, you don't know what they're going to do. 
it's very, very true. Like that, like yeah, it's just how you feel as a as an outsider trying to integrate yourself into a a, a, a foreign land. And then I say foreign in the sense that it's Arkansas and their career. Yeah. I mean, even if it was just they moved from California to Arkansas, <laughs> yeah. that's like a halfway there. You yeah, know? that's a plot of like white people shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's like a sitcom, you know. Like, yeah, that's a that's Shit's Creek. That's Shit's Creek, exactly right. And that's white people. I mean. You know. Canadian white people, though. Canadian white people. Um, but this is actually one thing. You mentioned this earlier, and this is some... And I think this is one of the really great things about this movie um, is that... Uh, and this is also something Stephen Yuen has been saying about it, which is it's an American movie, right? It's an American story. These are yeah. these people are part of what America is and a really classic part of what America has been forever. And it's so great to see it done like as a movie about America and instead of something because there's some idea for so long in america that i don't know like somehow their their experience isn't part of the american experience yeah of course it is of course it is yeah and it's so great to see it just presented in that way uh and i thought that was like revolutionary and so true and it you don't you don't see it all that often you know yeah uh that's how you learn and better your country (laughs) uh like uh for example, uh, the name of the film, Minari, it's a type of plant. It grows in hard places. It's kind of a totem in this movie. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, it gets planted in a weird spot and is there at the end. Uh, so that's the thing. Like You just learn through a specific thing from a movie that is about another culture. You just, and, and also, like we are saying, it's an American. So yeah, America is yeah. not just this hot dog apple pie shit. Those things are great. But this is a huge, allow yeah. things to come in and allow your country to grow. And yeah. Isaac well, and the thing Charles too is, is like, this is a, such a huge part of, of what it is, of what America is now, you know, but the fact that we're not telling these stories in this way as like American stories is insane. It's totally insane. Yeah. Uh, and have a diverse array of people telling the stories too. That's uh yeah, from diverse points of view, exactly. It's, amaz- it's, it's amazing. It's yeah. it's amazing, and I just I just thought it was such a sweet, nice movie to watch. Um, after seeing that thing that was very sensitive, like cut this out if if this isn't appropriate or whatever. But like, I don't, you know, there is something about it, and I I know it might just be that it's Asian people like walking through the grass or whatever that did put me in mind of like the kinds of Miyazaki movies that I personally like. Because so much of it is about like little small things, just watching like little small things happen. Like somebody try to, you know, somebody put a, a bandaid on a on a leg. Somebody like turning a spigot and like looking to see what comes out of the spigot. Like that, those kinds of moments make up so many of the the simple everyday Miyazaki movies that I really personally like. And I I it, it gave me that same kind of emotion in in a lot in a lot of a movie, where it was just kind of yeah, it's like very very specific little things happening all the time and just observed in in the in the way that they're beautiful in real life but you don't maybe think about it you know yeah uh, to, tr- to tr- translate that to uh, like fields in arkansas is like that's a beautiful thing uh yeah it reminded me uh of another asian uh director edward yang who's uh taiwanese i believe uh but his movie Yi, which I think people love Yi, I think like people, yeah, people do. But I haven't it. seen it, but people it's, love yeah, it. I think which is a ton of like slice of life, uh, moment type things, and it also uh, a lot of perspective of the precocious young child in the right, film. exactly right. It's um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, much like a Miyazaki movie. 
<laughs> oh, sure, sure. I actually watched Tutorial this week again. I only seen Tutorial once. I was like, why have I only seen this once? And I got high and watched my neighbor Tutorial. I, I got high and watched Totoro like on like New Year's Eve 2001 or something. Like I was home at my family's house and I felt like my parents went out to go do something, you know, and I, I got high and watched my neighbor Totoro and I was like, this is great. <laughs> this is what I want to do as an adult. And I, reader, I did. That is what I did. <laughs> It's a, a good good movie. I recently show. saw Ponyo again. I hadn't seen Ponyo in a long time. That I yeah. think Ponyo has a lot of that, like like just trying to carry a bucket oh, yeah, with a, a bunch of water in it from sure. one place to another, and not spill it. You know, like I love that shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let me think if I have anything else. Uh, I think I mentioned it one at Sundance last year, twenty twenty. That's why I thought it was twenty twenty. Dramatic and audience award. I think that wow, doesn't really. happen that often. Oh, I did. Uh, uh, so Emil Mosseri, I loved the score uh, of this movie. So I looked it up and like, turns out it's Emil Mosseri who uh, did Kajillionaire's score, which is good. I don't really remember it. But he also did the amazing score for Last Black Man in San Francisco. And that oh, yeah. is one of my favorite scores ever. And That's a very like big score, right? Yeah. So uh, this score I thought was very good. So Emil Mosseri, man. Uh, get some work. I, I, I love your work, man. Well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, the movie's perfect. I love it to death. It was so fantastic. Oh, uh, I didn't know this. I had this in my notes. I don't really have a lot to say about because I just wrote a couple words down. Uh, I didn't know that there was a difference between Tornado Watch versus Tornado Warning. Oh, actually, I totally knew that because I grew up in Florida and we had that for hurricanes. So oh. the hurricane warning is like, it's a fucking hurricane. Like it could go anywhere. It's like a huge area that, that, that they highlight in yellow. But then when it's a hurricane watch, that means like they've narrowed it down to yeah. a pretty specific zone and like they color it orange. <laughs> and like, if you're in that, it's like pretty bad. I mean, like in the movie, we're like, well, we're just in warning right now. It's not a watch. Yet. I loved it. But you're, you're exactly right. Like it's, it's, it's like you're saying it's semi-autobiographical touches yeah. like that. And the Mountain Dew thing, it's like, yeah. this is about your real life. Like you don't know this shit unless you have lived through it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's a you know a great way to learn, and I'm going to use learning as a segue to talk about our next film, which uh, I did learn some things. Uh, we're now talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will learn. These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. Judas and the Black Messiah is a new film starring Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, and Jesse Plemons. Uh, it's based on the true story of Fred Hampton, the Black Panther leader who, uh, you know, I hate to use this phrase, but rose to prominence in Chicago in the late 1960s and Bill O'Neill, the small time crook turned FBI informant who is, you know, tasked with taking him down. Uh, but you know, as much as it's the, that is the framework of the plot, a lot of the movie is about the history of the black Panthers, you know, how the black Panthers interfaced with the America of that time and the crazy levels of fear and hostility that they inspired in, in people like in this movie, J. Edgar Hoover played by Martin Sheen wearing this like insane makeup to look like J. Edgar Hoover. It's so unnecessary, I think. But um, 
yeah, but it's true. Like, actually, I mean, this is a story I tell people, and maybe I've told you before, Caleb, but like in the 1970s, my dad told me that his uncle, who lived in the panhandle of Florida and was just some hick, like he used to drive around with a shotgun in his pickup truck because he thought the Black Panthers were going to try to invade <laughs> this town. <laughs> but this was the mindset at the time in the 1960s and 70s. Like, it was like they were this, people were so scared of them when in reality, as the movie shows, they're like holding school lunches and, you know, giving, telling people <laughs> that like they should, you know, that they are worth something and they should start a business or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's, I would say the movie is directed a little unevenly by Shaka King, uh, and it, but it features very, very compelling central performances from Stanfield and Kaluuya. I mean, especially Kaluuya. He's really, really good. Uh, it's an important story i think and the movie uh gives you a lot of important information uh but as a film i would say it's you know it's got a it's got it's not perfect uh what what did you think caleb i gotta start off and say that these are two of the most exciting actors working today and you know i'll throw like you know liz moss and adam driver in there too but lakeith and daniel kaluuya yeah. uh yeah. Are, are a motherfucking show uh we'll talk about their performances a bit later but uh you know this is a great entry point to learn about the black panthers uh like last summer uh summer of 2020 uh we in america had our own reckoning with race uh albeit through our laptop and smartphone screens uh not not saying that to dismiss dismiss the great work of hundreds of people uh who organized these uh, things last year but i'm just saying that to point out that the black panthers and their commitment to solidarity and mutual aid uh, they were a real and incre- uh, credible threat to white supremacy in the 1960s. That is awesome. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was like, that's, I, they, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing to say about this movie is, of course, yeah, it feels a, very, very current because it is about these issues that, and it, it, it highlights something really interesting about our moment we're living in, mm-hmm. which is like this moment of the 1970s, 60s into 70s, Black Panther stuff, like, I think it's been treated very weirdly in in American history. And it's kind of like people, the whole like militancy of the seventies. It's like everyone for many, many years was like, Oh, well that was stupid. Right. And nobody, people acted like that was ridiculous. All of these things, but we are living through this moment where all of those things are being asked again. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these discussions are happening and we're seeing like, we're that those people were right. And you know, they weren't crazy at all. Like, mm-hmm. So this movie, yeah, this is a very straightforward movie as it pertains to history. Uh, we, I mean, we do get like there's like an interview device, the ending and beginning, uh, and then there's like, like a, a little clunky. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. I, like I don't a, think that uh, device is really necessary. There's like a love story that helps like ground the material a little bit, uh, but this more or less is just like a recount of what was going down in the Illinois Black Panther yeah, Party right. in 1968. I mean, it's the kind of movie that starts with a bunch of documentary footage and ends with I, it's probably a solid five minutes of documentary footage and mm-hmm. text on the screen and like yeah. It might be like a nod to like because the only other movies, as we were discussing movies to pair with Judas Black Side, the only other movies that exist are about the Black Panthers are actual just documentaries like I for. For some reason, probably racism being the reason that uh, the Black Panthers weren't touched in a cinematic lens. Why? Well, it uh, was interesting. It made me think. It made me rethink what I think about the Black Panthers in a lot of ways. Because definitely, yeah. What I think, having read and watched a bunch of things about the Black Panthers, uh, is you know an important organization, but they got a little bit lost in what they were doing and ended up, you know, like 
in, in selling drugs and being involved in all kinds of crazy things. But like, do I just think that because that's like propaganda? Is that not really true? But you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It made me want to read more about yeah. it and learn more uh, about it. Maybe they just needed a leader. Uh, maybe their leader got taken away from him. Fred Hampton was 21 years old. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, I mean, this is one funny thing about the movie because Daniel Kaluuya is like 31. So, sure. Yeah. Eh, it works for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I mean, he it does works a good as, job. Uh, the performance is great. Yeah. The, uh, like, it's. I mean, just think of the man, Fred Hampton. He's out there recruiting new members constantly. He's He unites warring factions in Chicago and he builds a party so much that he gets on the FBI's radar. It's all through his charisma, his charismatic speech. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, like I said, he's a front runner for best supporting actor, which is category fraud. Uh, this is a uh, lead actor role, but oh, anyway, Keith is the lead actor. Is that the idea? I think they're both getting supporting, which is, I don't know. I fucking, well, then who's the lead? There's no lead then. I know it's know. Fu- fucking Oscars, but uh, you know, the, the, it's all well-earned because he has a lot of speeches to do uh, and like a lot of like just charisma to sell himself. But then like we see Fred Hampton off stage and he's still like this strong, charismatic person. Uh, so like Kalua never has to like, do to has to show duality in a very weird same way, which is you know just performing acting. And I think that does make the love story uh, with uh, the actress's name is Dominique Fishback. She's great. The Deuce is a good show. Uh, uh, it she understands uh, his charisma and uses it to you know get through to him, uh, and it really makes again also they're twenty twenty one years old kids too. You have to remember. Right. It makes a really like ground this movie with that love but, story. I think I, I thought I didn't. Do you like think? It do you think it grounds it, or do you think it's like feels a little tacked on? No, it totally grounds it. That's why I, I was yeah. saying. Like uh, at first, I was like, you know, this is a little thrown in here, but no, it totally. Uh, especially as you learn, I, I, I did a little looking. Uh, her name in the movie is Deborah Johnson. Uh, she later changed her name to Akuya Najeri. Uh, and she was a consultant on this film along with. Right. Uh, her There's a great son. picture of her and. Her son uh, at the end of the movie is yeah, very Hampton heartwarming, Jr., yeah. and a movie that isn't is definitely not heartwarming. Like that was heartwarming. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it is heartwarming. And uh, another heartwarming thing they did, and I guess we'll talk a bit about to Lakeith now. Uh, they gave uh, William O'Neill, Bill O'Neill, uh, some a little bit of sympathy in this movie. A guy who didn't really do it. He is the Judas in this movie. Yeah, uh, but he but he is also framed in this movie as being caught in a trap like he's a victim too do you know what i mean like basically he's a small-time crook he's like trying to steal a car and and i don't know how much of this is true but i would assume from the movie that like a lot of it is true uh and then he gets picked up by the cops by the fbi and they say like you know you're gonna go to jail for like 10 years uh but if you don't want to go to jail like we can you know you help us infiltrate the black panthers and he's like okay sure whatever Mm-hmm. I like then, that. But then he becomes like, then he gets to know all these people and he begins to believe in all these things. And then he feels so bad. And the movie shows how like for a large part of it, it's kind of like, who cares? He's just going to meet this FBI agent. And he's like, oh yeah, Fred said this. And when we went over there and you know, and then the FBI is just like, okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But then like the longer it goes on, it gets crazier and crazier to the point eventually where the you know, people are being killed and the FBI is like, well, if you try to quit, we're going to tell the Black Panthers that you're a rat and you're going to get killed, you know? Uh, I do like that we learn uh, the story through 
Bill's eyes. Uh, like he was fed a lie about the Black Panthers too, and right. now he gets to learn uh, the truth from the actual source. But also, he has to remain loyal to the FBI, right. and yeah. it makes the movie feel more unique and like less than a typical like undercover uh, informant type movie. And it's all like thanks to the great and wonderful Keith Stanfield, who is amazing. He's such a weirdo in real life and just a weird guy. I love he it. A, like a, seems like a uh, real weirdo. Like eyes this whole time. He has a very strong, desperate. You can just always in his eyes. You always just see his character. Uh, he's always moving in this movie, and it's a very reactive performance. I would say it's uh, Safdie esque, uh, like I, like Adam Sandler. I don't think. I mean, Adam. it's Safdie esque. Uh, I actually Adam like. I, Lakeith is good in this movie, but like I, I don't think he is. I just what? think I, I don't know if it's because of the kind of in a movie like this. A lot of times, like it's not. It doesn't feel real enough that you are really like a like a Safty movie where it doesn't feel like really real, and I'm seeing like a really real person dealing with something. Like I feel like you feel like you're watching a you feel like you're watching a movie, and everybody's in these funny costumes and like heightened cinema man wild bill o'neill wild bill o'neill is a great liar uh and we get scenes where it seems like he's about to get caught in these lies and there's like a couple of these scenes where they just like ratchet it up and ratchet up and lakeith is like playing those to great effects you just feel his emotions about to pop all the time uh but i would say that all that stuff is undercut because the first scene of the movie is you're seeing him they show you him in 1990 so the entire movie, you know nothing is going to happen to him. So, like, I thought that that completely undercut all of that tension. Uh, you know something's going to happen to him at one point because it's a movie. Uh, but, but you know yeah. what I mean? I know he's not going to get killed. Like, if a girl holds a gun to his head and says, like, what did, you know, tell me, like, 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 how like did that. you get this car? You know he's going to get out of it and he's not going to get killed. get out of it. You know, like, you know he's, uh, I was just, I don't know. I guess you could feel that way if you're looking ahead, but you're also just watch the performance, which I'm talking about. I mean, the and movie I really is on purpose. They show you the first scene that he is. I know you just said that. And what I'm saying is that I'd like the performance that much where I could just feel that effect where right, like, okay. Yeah. The scene I'm just, I'm, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll give you a specific screen. If, as you described uh, the opening, uh, they, uh, tell him to reach for uh, a gun in his, uh, glove compartment, which, like, do we know that he actually has a gu- gun there? Uh, is he actually he's just making up a lie or that? And then he has to, like, slowly go over it. I don't know. There's, like, a lot of fun stuff they do that. And, like, uh, I don't know. There's a uh, great back and forth with the face of white supremacy in this movie, Jesse Plemons. Uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, yeah. Who plays that creepy blandness to a T here. <laughs> uh, I can say he's the face of white supremacy. He's the FBI agent who forces, I guess forces is the right word, uh, Bill O'Neill into yeah. uh, the doing this. Uh, it really came to his character came together for me when he brings Bill O'Neill Keith into his home and his home is baller. <laughs> like he's yeah. a really, really nice house. So of course, like this white man is who's doing things off screen that we don't know about uh, has a really nice house and is using building his uh, wealth off the back of uh, a black man. Uh, and like well, he keeps building things that are off screen, uh, and it's that unseen enemy of institutional racism. Like that, that's what ultimately ends up happening in this movie is the un- unseen white people. 
See, to me, to me, I got to disagree with you on this, Caleb, because like to me, Jesse Plemons was like one of the I didn't think I didn't like the structure of his character. And I didn't even like really that Jesse Plemons was cast as this character. I didn't think it was like in his wheelhouse, really, because like the, the it's like this FBI agent has an arc too, where basically at first he believes himself to be legitimately investigating a organization that's a threat and trying to put bad guys in jail and then eventually he's around to like, you know, trying to politically assassinate Fred Hampton, right? And just like being a total cold, like cigar smoking, you know, murderer basically, and threatening people and all this kind of stuff. But for uh, for the, the beginning of the movie, he is kind. He's not like sympathetic, but he just seems like he's a cop trying to do his job, and he doesn't seem particularly evil. And then the movie just. He turns evil at some cop, point. Cop do his job's pretty evil to me, man. Cop, oh yeah, all right, all right, fine. But do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? And I think Jesse Plemons is such a sh- uh, like a schmuck, and like he seems so in over his 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 thing is seeming in over his head. So like that's because you don't. A like couple Brady. of times he tries to do the right thing and he can't do it, or you know he's shocked by other people, but then he just goes along with it. You know that that kind of a thing. That's because so, by haven't... the end he's like so hardened. But I didn't I didn't really think it was earned. I didn't think it. I didn't think it was earned. That's because you haven't seen Breaking Bad and seen the arc of Todd, which is pretty close to what this is. I have seen Breaking Bad, but I didn't see that one season. That is the Jesse Plemons season. The Todd season. Yeah, so you're you're right and you're wrong. Um, but I'm I, right. I mean, I thought generally, it's what I said. I thought it was a very important story, and I think that it's very an important thing to think about. And I think like Minari, it's important to think of this story as an American story and the sure. people are Americans. And this is like this in a certain sense could only happen in America. And, and it's also like so upsetting all the things, you know, I mean, you know, to watch the FBI and the police do the things they do in this movie. I mean, it makes you so mad. It, it seems it's so unjust and it's so disgusting and hateful. And, you know, it made me feel just awful and I, uh, and I made me so mad. And then you think like this, this, you know, you want to say like, oh, that was the, those days. Right. But of course it wasn't. I mean, the same kind of stuff happens all the time, all the time now. I mean, it's not exactly the same because we don't have like a Black Panthers organization that was, you know, but, you know, you could say the actions against people that are in Black Lives Matter. I don't know. You know, it, it's awful to think that this is the, still the way things are and, and that it's awful to even think these things happened ever, you know, but they definitely did. And we have to reckon. Yeah. With we that. have to recognize, learn history and have yeah. movies such as Judas and Black Messiah to learn from. Uh, you did say you didn't like the directing. I would disagree with that. You there's really, lot... you thought it was well-directed. Yes. Let me go on. Uh, there's a lot of quick edits uh, and juxtaposing scenes within those. Like you mentioned, uh, they cut to, them talking about, we, we just want, a, the Black Panther said, we want to give everyone a free breakfast. And they cut to that to uh, Martin Sheen yelling, we have to get the Black Panther. It's like, that's funny. Quick edit stuff. Do you think that's like incredible? I mean, that's, first of all, that's in the script. And second of all, it's like incredibly heavy handed. And I'm still talking and you interrupted me. And oh my God. I, we're, we're having a discussion. The show is we talk to each other. So you said something, I'm responding to it. And, you know. Uh, so this could have been a history you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. Yeah. So this could have been more of a history lesson type procedural movie, but he has a lot of energy to it, and he does lead heavy on performances. Which why wouldn't you do? And that's solid, good directing to understand your strength in the movie. Uh, and also, you I've learned uh, Shaka King, who directed a couple episodes of High Maintenance in a movie called 
newlyweeds fun movie about uh, a love triangle with weed. Uh, he can handle uh, a pretty cool shootout scene and a pretty cool action scene. So, like, Shaka King, big ups, man. I think you did a very good job with this. The cinematographer here is Sean Bobbitt, which is kind of a pretty big coup to help you out with the directing as well. Uh, Sean Bobbitt did a lot of Steve McQueen's movies. Uh, Widows, which also had Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, yeah, I liked a lot of this movie. Um, there's Widows a, is like not a good movie, though, Caleb. I mean, come on. Like, Widows is not a good movie. I disagree. You think Widows is a good movie? Yes. <laughs> what is your favorite part about Widows? Uh, the tracking shot there he goes from the slums of Chicago to his posh thing, and it shows it through a car, and it's a very cool call and fair performance. Daniel Kaluuya is great in that movie. Cynthia Irvio is great in this, mo- in this movie. Yeah, there's so much to love about Widows. I saw it twice in theaters. You saw you saw Widows twice in the theaters, really? Yeah. I mean, I saw it in the theaters. I saw it in the theaters. I think I think I saw it in the theaters. Um, but it was just it was just a it's just a caper movie with Liam Neeson growling. I think it's a perfect popcorn movie. Well, great. Okay, cool. I okay, cool, 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 cool. I feel like you're really mad at me now, and <laughs> I don't know. I don't apologize. I'm not trying to be rude, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. What else do I think about this movie? Um, I don't know. You know, that, that kind of does it. I mean, I think, I, I think it's like I said. I think it's a very important story. It caused me to think a lot. Um, but I thought it was just kind of. I don't particularly like this genre of like historical movies where it's just like, here's a thing that happened in history, and like here's a bunch of, and especially these days, there's a lot of them where they have like a lot of documentary footage at the end, beginning and a lot of like text at the end where it just kind of feels like a New Yorker article that is a movie for some reason. Um, and I, I think it has some great performances in it. And again, it's a very important story and I think it's very, very important. But I, as a film, like, I, you know, I don't know. It was fine. It was fine. If I think we're getting towards, yeah, the, the actually best choice of it all, which I would say, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, you have to tell stories like that. I, like I said, I didn't know much about Black Panthers. There's not another Black Panthers movie. There probably is that didn't get this push like Judas and the Black Messiah did streaming on HBO now. Uh, but, you know, this year, like along with Judas and the Black Messiah, along with One Night in Miami and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think they're like helping establish like a new Hollywood directive that dives into the politics of racism over yeah. the 20th century with an honesty and a seriousness and an opportunity for black filmmakers. And that's helping to move away more from mm. the uh, slave film or the servant film, which those are fine and but they've been done so much like we shouldn't have to keep doing that that's why everyone was mad at green book with that movie keeps getting made uh that's crazy i mean that is crazy so now like hopefully like, hopefully like I, I mentioned those three films those all three films Jews black messiah one night in miami ma rainey's black bottom all are in, also in oscar contention this year and also probably will win some oscars and we'll have to keep moving forward with things and people are getting more opportunity that's great and I think Judas and the Black Messiah is the, I don't know, I can't really compare them to all three of those because I didn't really like One Night in Miami. But anyway, Judas and the Black Messiah is a good movie. I think it is a, a good entry point to learn about the Black Panthers for a lot of people who just watch movies or like understand things. Like it simplifies a narrative to an extent. And like you said, it is like a straightforward New Yorker article to, in a way. Uh, but it also is has a lot of fun to it too. It's written by the Lucas Brothers. If you didn't know that, yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if we're getting into actually best choice now. Should we? Sure, let's. Yeah, actually up? best choice. Yeah, exactly. 
you have to so okay, let's say you have to pick one of these two films or your dreams will be brutally crushed by the american white supremacist system uh yeah i talked a lot about judas and black messiah there and uh, just to say i'd pick minari <laughs> of course minari uh, minari a beautiful film beautiful for all film. time it hit a little close to home and i did expect that because i had a lot of uh my asian friends uh did say they've had a lot of feelings watching this movie. And I'm like, oh, I don't have feelings. I probably won't have that, blah, blah, blah. But no, there's like, yeah, specific things in this movie. Like, oh, that happened to me. I so mean, I, is there anything as like, as an Asian person that you wanted to say, like you feel like you thought was really well done oh, I feel in the like, film or? Oh, you know, just, uh, I would say as specifically, it spoke to me as a, an Americanized Asian person who, uh, like I didn't have, uh, like my, uh, stinky Korean grandma was uh, like my mom's uh, uh, cousins and stuff who I grew up with. Uh, but I thought they were cool. And like, they, I just like learned things like, Oh, that's how an attitude you can have. Like, I don't know. It's just <laughs> great to like actually see, like I, I haven't seen that on film before is what made me pick like this made me feel like this is such a personal movie. Like, Oh, I've, that's something very me that I, didn't think other people had that is great to see on film that's great i mean yeah. that sounds great i mean and it should, why it should be in a million films why is it not <laughs> you know it doesn't make any sense because we have to make dogs talk on a dog's journey <laughs> hey look these are all very important movies the call of the wild is one of the most important pieces of 20th century literature okay just because they put a cool cgi dog in it it doesn't mean it's bad is that that jack london book yeah, yeah, that's the one where it was Harrison Ford and a CGI dog on right, Disney right, right. Plus. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I also think Minari, like, what an amazing film. I mean, you were talking a little bit before, Caleb, about how it can seem a little hokey to put the child as the center of, of a film sometimes. And, like, not to go on about it, right? But, like, having a child now, and now that she's getting to be kind of more of a toddler, which obviously this kid is way, way older than my kid, but, like, you know. <sighs> This is going to sound so insane to say, but like children are real and they continue to exist. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and like, it's, it's actually not hooky at all. Like there are a million kids right now, this very second. And the things they are going through are real and really happened. And like, just because as me as being like 38 years old, it seems like so long ago and like ridiculous and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's just a real part of being a human and it's beautiful to see in a film. And I, and I really thought it was well done done thoughtfully and sympathetically and beautifully. And it was an emo a very emotional film and I, I loved it to death. It was, it was really great. And to tie it all to the top of the show, uh, hopefully we'll be getting that Oscar love this year. You know what? We did have a good history. Like we said during our parasite episode last year uh, that like, we don't think like we were like cross our fingers. This is just that good of a movie where it could just like bust through the Oscars. And we called that shit hard. Yeah, I don't know it if we're going to call really it from Minari. I don't in a big know way. What to call this year. I mean, that's true. Given the love that Parasite yeah. got, I mean, it wouldn't be Hopefully crazy Oscar for Minari or Stephen Yuen to win. You know, yeah, yeah. While we're wrapping up the show, I think our Zencasters were a little messed up. But anyway, I did look it up. Uh, editing win for Roger Rabbit. It beat Rain Man and Die Hard for best editing. <laughs> that's insane. That's insane, Caleb. Um, but yeah, let's let's wrap it up. I didn't know that the Zencaster was messed up, so like let's let's go. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the whole show this week. What a great time we had, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.
Oh my God, like, like Piers Morgan, Caleb appears to have walked off the show. I don't know, I don't know what's happening right now.